Welcome friends and colleagues. Today I'd like to continue our backwards travel into the methodology and the substance of the creation story and talk about two topics. One is encoded narrative, by which I mean that in addition to the obvious, usually religious story, there may be a mythological story as well, which aims to explain how things came to be. Uh, that is uh, especially visible uh, substratum of meaning in the creation story in Genesis, but also uh, much of the history of the family of Abraham is there also to explain how the Jewish nation came to be. Uh, that is not uh, primary to the religious meaning of the story, but it's encoded into it uh, for a careful investigator to find through various structural, uh, linguistic, semantic, and other methods. We've spoken about some of them, like the Milam uh, Mancha, like the um, the theme word, and uh, from time to time in other ways. But um, today I'll speak somewhat about the chiastic structure, and then we'll see how that applies to another story within the creation story. We've seen an example of this, for example, when we discovered the story of the man's relation to animals and his separation from animals, which is encoded in the religious story of man's sin and failing in the Garden of Eden. We have seen that on other occasions as well. And uh, this kind of an encoded story is what I would try to focus on a bit and explain. So first of all, the chiastic structure. The chiastic structure is a fairly uh, modern uh, approach in which there's an assumption that uh, the narrative in, in the Bible is read not only forward, but also forward to the middle, backward to the middle, and that the middle actually provides a key for understanding the story. We in the Western world are used to chronological stories. The way to organize experience is in time. You go from when it started to when it ended and everything in between. And this is your classical 19th century novel. And this is how we are taught to read. We are taught to pick up the key words and uh, see how the key words lay out and uh, pursue the meaning in the chronological uh, layout of uh, the story. But there is another way of reading as well. The other way of reading is common in cultures in which there are not many books, in which you read a book over and over again, you delve into it, and you pursue its meaning, and the middle of the story is where there's a fulcrum on which the story depends. So, for example, you might have um, a certain view uh, in the beginning of the story, which gradually transforms and comes to a kind of middle crisis kind of a thing, 
and then develops in a different way, reinterpreting the first half. And now you have a story which is complex, multi-level, and explains uh, itself from its middle. Uh, an example of, and, and this by this kind of chiastic structure, chiastic means what we call a Greek letter that in English reads like X, uh, and uh, you have uh, the middle of the letter X, which represents the point in which meaning resides. I'll give you an example of this phenomena in a sentence. This uh, kind of structure can involve large sections of a, of a, a book, uh, a small narrative, a limited sentence even. So for the, an example of a limited sentence, let's look at this sentence. When man, Adam meets woman, he says, uh, she is uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman because from man is taken this. Let me say this in Hebrew. We start with the word zos, which is a cognate to English this, as many such cognates exist. We've mentioned that before. So it says like this. Uh, notice that very similar words bunch up in the middle, and in the beginning and the end. The beginning of the sentence is this word, zos, this, and the end of a sentence is zos, this. The middle is ish, isha, woman, and ish. You can see the similarity of the two words. And in between the middle and the beginning is a verb, verb is a verb in past, uh, passive, uh, and the same thing is true of between the middle and the end. Lizos, to this one, ikore, will be called, another cognate to English call, lizos, ikore, isha, ki mi ish, lukaha, zos. The zos in the beginning, zos at the end of a sentence correspond, the isha and mi ish in the very middle of the sentence correspond and the word ikore and lukaha both passive will also correspond so what you have a structure that they can call a b c now we're in the middle c apostrophe going toward the end b apostrophe and a apostrophe with the a and a apostrophe correlate B and B apostrophe correlate, and C and C apostrophe correlate. So this is known as chiastic structure. And as I mentioned, it can be of various lengths from a single sentence like this to a narrative. Now in this sentence, the key to the sentence is isha and mi-ish. So the key of the sentence is the relationship between men and women. And it draws the reader into the middle, and then the reader, of course, has to reread the sentence and realize the emphasis, which is on the man and woman. It's not on calling and it's not on taking. Uh, it is specifically on man and woman, and it illuminates the meaning of the entire sentence. The story of... Uh, 
man in the Garden of Eden is also a chiastic structure. And these chiastic structures are ubiquitous throughout all biblical books. But let's look at the man in the Garden of Eden. So the story starts with the plight of the earth when there's no man to work the soil. Garden is planted in the east of Eden. Adam is formed from the earth and placed besides the tree of life. That would, I, I would call that A. Uh, and uh, by the way, I want to give credit to Jonathan Grossman's book, Creation, the Story of Beginning, published by the Maggit Tanakh Companions, on page 104, who delineates the structure. So A is the plight of the earth without men. B is the search for fitting helper, the creation of animals, woman, naming of the woman, men and women are naked. C, the character sin, the serpent convinces the woman to eat from the tree, man then eats from the tree. D, and this is our middle that illuminates everything, man and woman hide from God, dialogue between God and the sinners. C, apostrophe, sinners are punished, the serpent is punished, woman is punished, man is punished. B, apostrophe, woman receives a new name. Adam and Eve are clothed in garments of skin. In A apostrophe, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, distanced from the tree of life, to work the soil from which he was taken. And the Cherubim, Cherubim are stationed east of the Garden of Eden. If you compare the A part with the A apostrophe part, you'll see similar language. If you compare B to the B apostrophe, you see similar language. If you compare C to C apostrophe, you see similar language. And there is the center of the narrative, and it explains it. So according to this, the key to the narrative is man and God, man and woman trying to hide from God, and the relationship of God and man. <coughs> now, the interesting thing about this is that if you identify the beginning and end of a unit of narrative, uh, a surprising connection appears. The narrative opens with vegetation, or no vegetation, when no shrub of the field was yet unearthed and no grasses of the field yet had sprouted, because the Lord God has not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to work the soil. 2.5 This problem is solved when in 323 the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the soil from which he was taken. So here again, A is there's no man to work the earth. A apostrophe is that God sent the man away from the Garden of Eden to work the earth from which he was taken. That's just one uh, example of, of these things. Uh, God puts man in the garden to work and watch it. And he puts the Kruvim to Lishmor to watch the way of the to the Garden of Eden. And there are many parallels in language and structure and syntax between the A and A1, B and B1, C and C1, I should say C apostrophe, and 
the the middle of the story. In a larger sense, uh, this also completes the creation story as well. We have talked a bit about first chapter of Genesis being an anticipation of the second chapter. And I won't go into this too much, but there's a well-known view that chapter 1 is a different story or a story from a different perspective than chapter 2. We had a uh, podcast on that topic. Um, But when you read it in this manner, in the chiastic kind of structure, you will find that the two are not... Uh, contradictory in fact uh, chapter 1 leads into chapter 2 and I have a lecture on that before and it will be sufficient to to refer myself to, uh, first yourself to to that um, what's also quite interesting is that I found another uh, commentator that um, who also thought that the first and the second chapter uh, are connected uh, based on specifically on uh, the language of the uh, the two chapters and the foreshadowing back and forth, uh, somewhat different than from the way I understood it, but uh, certainly also uh, confirming that the two chapters are the same. So that's the power of the method. Uh, the commentator was George W. Coates in the book called Genesis, uh, published in Grand Rapids, 1983. Um, and uh, his discussion of another work by Store Dallen, S-T-O-R-D-A-L-E-N, uh, Echoes of Eden, page 198-201. Fine. Once we appreciate that the story is not solely about man's sin, we do see in the chiastic structure that it comes in the middle uh, and it is about the relationship of God and man. But we also realize from the encoded story, based on the chiastic structure as well, and the similarity of language between A and A apostrophe and B and B apostrophe, etc., etc., that there is another story going on as well. And what is that other story? Last uh, time we spoke about the placement of the four rivers uh, and what its meaning is in the middle of the creation of man. And I suggested that it is also it also explains, in addition to my story, it explains the obvious language of how did rivers come to be and why there's water there. In other words, we know about the water that was above the heaven and below the heaven that was separated. We know about the water which is um, which was taken into made into seas, and a dry land. But what's this river water doing in the middle of the dry land? That's a question that needs to be answered. Uh, and the answer is the passage about the four rivers that comes in the middle of creation of men. 
that man needs rivers to work the land. So we see here an example of a concurrent other story going on in the middle of the religious story or on, on the, the surface of it. Similarly, the story of the expulsion from the Garden of Eden is primarily a religious story, no question about that. Uh, it's about man's interaction with God after man had disobeyed God's command. However, there is also a story of agriculture. It also explains that man had his start in working the lad in Eden. There were rivers that separated uh, out of Eden. The river went out of Eden and separated into four parts. And man was orig originally charged with working the ground of the Garden of Eden. And when he was uh, sent out of Eden, now he works the land of the entire world. So this kind of a story is another story which is below the surface. Now, another way to explain is that the primary purpose of the story of creation is to teach us about God, his mastery over the world, his relationship to men who he had created and what man owes, and the, the reward and punishment that comes with obedience or disobedience to God's command. However, there's also a mythological aspect. So we look in the old stories, we find that mythology is there to explain how things came to be. It came to be because such and such happened, uh, uh, Somebody did this and this and became a tree, and this is the explanation for the tree, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, and the biblical stories in that world would not go as far if they also didn't explain the origin of things. So again, the purpose of the story is religious, but encoded in it, is mythological explanatory retelling of how things be came to be and why they are now the way they are. Now, does that mean it could be argued that there was a mythological story and then it was repurposed and reworked to serve a religious ends? I do not think so. I do not believe this is correct. Why? Because the obvious surface story, what person understands and first hearing the story before delving deeply into it, is clearly a religious one. The mythological level is hidden in structure, allusions, repeated language and many literary techniques. And was that the original stratum of the story that was repurposed? you should find the opposite. You should find the mythological aspect very visible and the religious aspect more hidden uh, with various techniques. And in fact, it is the opposite of what you find. So, my dear reader, today we learned another thing. We learned that the multi-level biblical narrative contains within it many levels of meaning, uh, we spoke about the religious and the mythological level, but don't forget that there is also ethical, and there is, at least in Jewish interpretation, also legal component. And there are 
not necessarily only one of each in each story. It's not that there's only a religious, a mythological, a, um, a legal, and a ethical aspect. There are maybe several uh, religious aspects. There are maybe number of legal uh, aspects. There are many uh, mythological answers, and there are many, many ethical paradigms. So this is what makes uh, the Bible a uh, unique work. Uh, I'm not familiar, uh, and I'm only an amateur classicist, but I'm not familiar with anything in classical literature in the West or the East of comparable degree of depth, beauty, unity, and purpose as the Bible. Thank you for listening, and may you have only blessings.